The market economy by which the capitalist economic system basically operates has many problems inherent within it. A Marxist historical view presupposes that fundamental contradictions of capitalism will inevitably lead to socialism. Far from this extreme, Charles Reich, the author of Greening of America and Opposing the System, believes that individuals must be nonetheless confronted with these contradictions and the human conditions created by material capitalism. I spoke with Charles Reich in November of 1996, when this program was originally broadcast, and asked him to discuss the distribution of wealth in the United States. Well, the uh, thing that we have to start with is we have to try to find out uh, why this is happening, why this has happened. And uh, we have uh, an economic machine that basically takes directions, uh, the same as a computer takes directions. You give it a program and it'll produce what you want. We tell our economic machine to produce goods and wealth and do it in the most efficient way possible. And uh, that turns out to be uh, large organizations with uh, hierarchical uh, management and with uh, workers who uh, get paid as little as possible uh, because all of that conduces to efficient operation. So what we do is we tell our economic machine to produce goods and wealth and we don't tell it to do anything about human beings. It's that same machine that takes the minerals out of the soil and uh, cuts the trees down from the land. We tell it to do that too. We tell it to say to uh, produce at any uh, cost and to forget about the landscape, forget about nature, forget about all those things. So we essentially get from the machine what we instruct it to give us. Isn't that a fundamental nature of a capitalist uh, economy? That's correct. And uh, it's always been my view, at least, that capitalism is a very destructive force unless it's modified by other equally powerful forces that uh, balance capitalism against uh, something more human. Well, considering uh, the result of the last major modification of capitalism, going to the the fall of the Soviet empire uh, about five years ago, what do you propose now? First of all, I don't think that the Soviet empire was a good example of anything except a regime that was totally devoted to economics and uh, ignored human beings completely, very much like ours. The the two systems are not particularly dissimilar. Uh, The difference is that in one, everything is state-owned, and the other, everything is uh, corporately owned. But aside from that, the differences are not so great. So what I'm saying is the goal of society should be to balance economics uh, against uh, more human and natural values and to achieve a balance between those two. How do we do that? Well, we have to uh, make up our minds that it's that that we want rather than the highest amount of wealth or the highest amount of profit. 
and uh, this is a decision that the American people have have yet to make. Uh, they haven't even confronted it, as far as I can see. But that, to me, assumes that the American people are uh, conscious of the need to make that decision and are educated enough to make their own decision. And uh, neither assumption is correct. Uh, that is, people today are very confused. They're not. Uh, they don't understand what's causing the problem. The electorate is really not informed about the issues. Suppose that we uh, wanted to do something about poverty, crime, unemployment, and other ills of that kind, including the disparity of wealth that you've spoken of. Uh, the obvious thing to do is to make sure that we have a society that's organized so that everybody has a job, everybody has a, a place in society, everybody has something to do that's meaningful. If we organize things in that way, we would solve a great many of these uh, so-called social problems that are afflicting us now. The trouble with giving everybody a place in society is that it's not economically efficient. That is to say, it would uh, cut into profits, it would cut into uh, productivity, it would mean that uh, we might have less economic growth. There's a trade-off, and what we haven't faced as a society is the necessity of uh, that sort of trade-off. If we want to include everybody in the economic system, we're going to have to settle for less efficiency. Can you explain that in terms of how that would affect the average person? The tendency now is to look for the cheapest possible labor and uh, to lay people off when they're not needed, to get by with as few people as possible, and to send work overseas and so forth, and that produces cheaper goods. There's no question about that. If you have a, uh, uh, a sweater or a shirt that's been made uh, by people who get 60 cents an hour in Asia or somewhere of that sort, you're certainly going to get a cheaper shirt. The idea is, is it worth paying for a more expensive shirt in order to have the domestic tranquility of having everybody included in the economy? That's the trade-off. It seems to me from what you're saying or, or have written elsewhere is that we have to have a, a fairly large number of unemployed people. Well, we only have to have that if we want to have our shirts priced very low. When you go and buy a shirt, you might spend uh, $10 or you might spend $20. The $10 might pay for a shirt that's been made by people who are getting slave wages. The $20, or however much it might be, would pay for a shirt that's made by people who are decently paid and are protected against uh, uh, unemployment and against uh, other social evils of that kind. The, the question is, do you want to pay the price of a society that is better organized than our society? Or would you rather have your goods as cheap as possible? There's two issues I hear from what you're saying. One is no longer uh, should we take our means of production overseas where um, wages are much lower and we should keep them here in America or we're proposing a, a change on an international basis? Well, what I've said is that we have uh, some choices that we have to make. That uh, we can
can either choose the cheapest possible way of manufacturing goods, or we can choose a way to manufacture goods that will produce more expensive goods, but will also provide us with less crime, less poverty, and less of those evils. We have a choice to make. And I'm not saying which choice we should make. I'm saying that we have to make a choice, and we have to confront it, and we have to understand uh, that there are costs on both sides. And in the one case, you're going to have to pay more for food and other goods. In the other case, you're going to have to pay more for police, for prisons, for welfare, for all of these things that we hate uh, to pay for. So what I'm trying to do, and I'll do it again on, on uh, Friday night, uh, I'm trying to confront people with the choices that they have to make and that they cannot run away from. Well, it seems to me that in the past uh, 50 years since the end of World War II, America has been running away from these choices. Precisely, precisely. We have been avoiding uh, our responsibility to design uh, the society that we want, and we've just uh, let it happen. And when you just let it happen, then the more powerful people in society get to have more and more to say, and everybody else gets less to say, and you end up with this enormous disparity of wealth that we have today. So it's the neglect uh, that uh, has been lavished upon our society by the voters that's really responsible for this. Are you proposing that this change or, or the choice that has to be um, made is made by um, fiat or it's made by a slowly educated electorate? Uh, the latter certainly is the best way to do things and uh, we need to get in the business of making these choices. Uh, that's really what the responsibility of a citizen is, is to make these choices and to decide which are we going to have. and. Uh, as we, if we had time to talk about various social ills, we would see that each one of them uh, presents a problem of choice in the same way. It may not be exactly the same choice, but in each case, uh, whatever it is that is troubling, uh, there is a way out, but the way out is going to require some sort of choice. And uh, as I say, there's a way out of all these social evils, but it's going to mean more expensive goods. I wish people would understand that and would decide which one they want and would vote for it. Then we would have a clear mandate and we would have uh, uh, some responsibility for the society that we live in. Instead of just saying uh, it's not the place we want to live. It's not the uh, way we want society to be. It seems to me that uh, that wish or that desire, as you express it, is somewhat uh, unmanageable considering the, the way uh, the election that uh, will occur yesterday or the, the day before our broadcast uh, has resulted. Well, uh, our elections uh, do not present people with the important issues uh, that face the country. Our elections are designed to make a lot of noise and raise a lot of uh, hopes, but uh, ultimately it's a disappointment because uh, whoever you vote for, nothing changes. 
and uh, our elections are an exercise in frustration and in, uh, really a waste of energy. Uh, what we really need is an election about issues that matter, and uh, nothing that really matters is being discussed in this election. So there's going to be, uh, after the election is over, there's going to be a long period of disillusionment and disappointment, whatever the outcome. Charles, I'd like you to address what you believe are the most compelling issues facing the United States now. But first, I want to say that my guest this week is Charles A. Reich, who wrote a, a book uh, just recently entitled Opposing the System, and who 25 years ago, with a recent republication, wrote a very well-known book called The Greening of America. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Charles, what are those most compelling issues? Well, I think the most important thing of all is are we all going to spend our lives uh, as slaves to the economic machine? Uh, and that includes the very successful people who may be uh, more enslaved than anybody else because uh, they may be working every waking hour of the day. Uh, or are we going to have a society that uh, is more devoted to the needs and the desires of human beings and what makes a decent human community, what's a good place to bring up kids, what's a place that respects nature and so on. We have to make a choice between the uh, brutally economic, with nothing else but economic mattering, and a more humane society that uh, has a lot of values and uh, a lot of culture and uh, is basically uh, in existence to make human life better and happier. And uh, right now we've gone so far in the direction of pure economics that most people are not very happy even if they're making a lot of money. And most people are not making a lot of money. But even those that are aren't very happy. To implement that change, you're going to ask people to pay more for goods and services and have less access to money, which uh, in the short run satisfies their needs and desires. Well, I'm going to suggest that uh, goods are really uh, not the way to satisfy most needs and desires, and that goods are uh, all very well and they're very helpful and they're nice to have, but. Uh, Human desires are satisfied on another level than uh, material things. And so I'd suggest that the more that we expand our non-material life, uh, the happier and better off we'll be anyway, and the healthier we'll be. And that we should keep economics where it belongs. It, economics is uh, necessary to life. It's an essential part of life, but it shouldn't rule us. We've made the mistake of letting economics tyrannize over everything else in society. Then what I uh, hear you addressing is the need for a greater education system and a uh, more highly educated public. Well, the uh, problem is that uh, people are not uh, ready and willing to deal with the fact that we live in a world of, uh, of contradiction, of conflicting messages, that we're basically at war with ourselves. It's not just that we need a better educational system, although we certainly do, but we need to be able to deal with the fact that we want 
conflicting things, that we have conflicting desires, and that we cannot possibly satisfy all of these desires to the utmost degree. So there's got to be compromise. We've got to listen to both sides. And uh, I'm not sure if, uh, it, if education can do that job, but somehow you have to get people to understand that uh, there are choices to be made that uh, are not going to satisfy every desire to its utmost degree. And we have to be willing to compromise. You may have just said that you uh, are not sure that education is the way to do that, but I hear you saying that we have to teach compromise and we have to teach selection of priorities. And we have to teach people to understand that there are two messages in most issues, not just one message. We have to uh, teach people to live with complexity. Uh, to live with the idea that uh, we want something and we want something else and these two desires are inconsistent and that we're going to have to settle this conflict in some way or other. Now, you see this all the time with uh, individual human beings. You know, you see a person who wants to eat a great big delicious dinner and the same person probably wants to lose weight. And that is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Uh, there are two conflicting desires, there has to be a choice. Best thing is to compromise. You can't just starve, uh, and so there has to be some way in which you compromise out these two conflicting desires. That's the model that I propose for the settlement of all of these issues. Well, I hear you uh, proposing the, the solution, but I don't hear you proposing the structure of the model. What would that structure be? Well, uh, if you want to have an economy that responds to human needs and not just to economic signals, then you're going to have to govern that economy in some way. And uh, I say basically that we need more government, not less government, but we need a kind of government that makes decisions, not a government like we have today that's perpetually in stalemate, uh, but we have to have a government that says we need so much of this and no more. You, you mentioned priorities. Uh, how, much, uh, uh, how much wood do we need? How much wood do we need to chop down from our forests? Well, uh, we need to set a priority. We need to decide how much of this raw material we can afford to chew up uh, compared to how much we want to preserve our forests. And uh, that's, again, that's a model of the choices we have to make. Now, would these choices be uh, imposed by the government? Oh, no. I think that the uh, choices have to be made by the sovereign citizens. And they have to be understood by the citizens and voted on, and the government is only there to carry them out. Well, with understood being the operative word in what you're saying, I think that we're now confronting a society that wants less government, fewer taxes, and a greater opportunity for school vouchers or sending children to private schools of their choice. We want those things, and we want a lot of other things, but we can't have all those things. It's perfectly true. We'd like less government, we like better schools, so on and so on. But uh, we cannot have 
all the things that we want. That's one of my most important messages. If you want better schools, then you're going to have to pay higher taxes, and you're going to have to pay have better government, uh, because uh, schools are a public enterprise. And uh, if you want better private schools, it'll still cost money. Uh, so that uh, there's no way uh, that you're going to have good schools without paying the money for it. How much worse is it going to have to get before the bubble bursts and we can create these changes? Well, when you look at people uh, as individuals who are caught in this kind of uh, internal conflict, it has to get pretty bad before people will do anything. You see people who continue to suffer because they cannot make these kind of decisions, and sometimes they go way downhill before uh, they'll do anything. Sometimes they don't even survive. I mean, people will have a, a, an abuse problem of one kind or another, and they simply cannot stop, and they may not survive. So uh, there's no guarantee that this country will survive. Uh, its problems have been getting worse all through my lifetime, and I'm 68, you know, and I haven't seen any sign of a turnaround. There was a very brief moment in the 60s when there seemed to be a moment when people were looking at things differently, but it passed. And since then, it's been uh, downhill all the way, as far as I'm concerned. Let's focus on that moment in the 60s. Can you uh, describe how you saw it and what you think led to that moment? Well, uh, the uh, essence of the 60s was a... Uh, desire on the part of, uh, it was only a small minority of people. We should remember that most people uh, just went on with their lives, but there was a small group of people who said, let's try some different choices. Let's try uh, being more open as human beings and less material. Let's not worry so much about work. Let's care a little more about love and feelings and uh, uh, all of the openness that's possible when you're not in such a big hurry, when you're not under such pressure and stress, uh, let's see if life can be more rewarding and more meaningful. And uh, for a short time, the experiment worked for some people. That is, they found life more meaningful. They found it more joyful. They, they had a better time. And uh, they didn't miss those uh, material things that everybody else finds so uh, essential to their lives. So the experiment was only for a short time, but it showed that there is a different way to live. That's what people kept saying in the 60s. They kept saying, we're living wrong. Did you remember hearing that? We're living wrong. We're doing it wrong. Sure. We're spending our energy and our lives in the wrong way. And let's try doing something different. Uh, now, there were many mistakes made in the 60s because anybody who experiments is going to make mistakes. But I don't think the 60s as a whole was a mistake at all. I think it was a uh, really great effort to find a better way to live than the way we have been living. And I'm sorry to say that uh, we, you know, we didn't follow through on it. What events took those experiments off track? and kept them from becoming more of a reality in the 70s and 80s and 90s? Well, it was very heavy repression of different kinds. There was uh, uh, the effort to criminalize uh, the 
uh, use of marijuana, for instance, is a good example of, uh, you know, overkill. Uh, marijuana may not be particularly good for people, especially in large quantities, but neither is alcohol, neither are cigarettes, neither are a lot of other things. So uh, there, there was a very heavy-handed kind of repression uh, that began, and uh, there was a... Uh, an effort to trivialize what the 60s were doing, to denounce what the 60s were doing. There was a massive campaign to uh, make it look bad, to make people feel ashamed and feel that what they uh, were trying out was wrong. So that uh, there was very little support from the uh, society as a whole. How do you see that campaign connected into uh, the Vietnam War? Well, the uh, Vietnam War was an external version of the war against ourselves, which is an internal war. That is, we were fighting in Vietnam uh, because we were trying to stop communism. And communism was seen as a economic threat to America. This, of course, was greatly exaggerated, as we've since learned. But uh, we were there to protect our economic system. As which we thought was threatened. And uh, had we had a different economic system that was perhaps uh, less uh, in search of uh, foreign markets and overseas places to sell our goods and uh, less afraid of uh, other economic systems, we probably wouldn't have been in that war to begin with because we had no quarrel with the Vietnamese people at all. That's why it was such a crazy war from the beginning. It was a purely ideological war, and thus it reflected the internal conflicts that I've been talking about. Uh, since the Vietnam War, we haven't been uh, at war so much, but we've been at war at home with ourselves. And uh, what I see today in this country is the Vietnam War at home. The war uh, is carried on. It's now a war against the poor. It's now a war against minorities. It's now a war against uh, those who are weak and not able to take care of themselves. In a way, it's an uglier war now even than the Vietnam War. Charles Reich, I want to thank you very much for joining us here on Radio Curious. And before we close in the remaining minute or so that we have, I'd like to ask you the question I ask all of my guests at the end of an interview. And that is, could you please tell us of an interesting book that you've read lately? Oh, uh, an interesting book that I've read lately. Uh, a, uh, a biography of the poet Coleridge. And I can't remember the author of it, but it's... Uh, it's uh, called Coleridge, The Early Visions. And if ever there was a person who was searching for uh, human, uh, human results and human fulfillment, it was Coleridge. Uh, he, he was uh, a perfect 60s person, except that he lived a couple of centuries earlier. And I'm sorry I don't have the author's name on the tip of my tongue, but it's Coleridge, Early Visions. Well, Charles Reich, thank you very much for joining us here on Radio Curious. I enjoyed it very much in myself. Thank you. Bye now. Charles Reich is the author of The Greening of America and Opposing the System. The book that he recommends is Politics in the Poetry of Coleridge by Charles R. Woodring. 
Copies of this and other editions of Radio Curious can be found on our website, www.radiocurious.org. There are over 750 archives on our website, radiocurious.org, and I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters, and do enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The postal address is 700 West Smith Street, Ukiah, California, 95482. The phone is 707-621-5075. Ignacio Ayala is the assistant producer. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.